So I don't know. I've always sort of lived in language. We've all felt a part of that story. How I look at it is that poetry is not the transcription of experience, it's the transformation of it. You're listening to Retellings, the Washington University Creative Writing Podcast Series. Welcome to the first episode of Retellings. I'm Rebecca King, and I'm delighted to have you with me today as I talk to Anton DeSclavani about her debut novel, The Yonalasi Writing Camp for Girls. For the second half of this episode, we'll speak with one of Anton's former students, Kate Marcel, who will share some of the storytelling techniques Anton taught her. Anton graduated with a Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Washington University in 2006, where she now teaches fiction and nonfiction as a writer in residence. The Yona Lassie Writing Camp for Girls was released on June 4, 2013, by Riverhead Books, who won a seven way bidding war for the rights to publish her novel. Thank you again for meeting with us. Thank you for having me. So I heard this novel began with the idea of first seeing the Appalachian Mountains. Is is that true? Yes, it is true. I grew up in Florida, which is very flat, and I remember first seeing the mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, when I was young and just how astonishing they seemed. And so I knew I wanted to write about Yonalasi, but the rest hadn't come to me. And the idea of somebody seeing those mountains for the first time in the 30s or in the 20s actually really appealed to me. The thing that fascinated me most about nature and environment was the way that you feel like a different person in a different place. And when I was a child, we would make long drives from Florida to North Carolina, and you would feel one way in Florida, and you would have this one landscape. And then in North Carolina, you would feel a different way because you would be surrounded by a different landscape. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I don't know um, what the mechanism is that makes us feel a different way in a different place. And maybe it's it's back to the reptilian parts of our brain that think mountains safe because nobody can see you or, you know, beach not safe because it's flat. How did you think of Yona Lassi? My family has a cabin, a stone's throw from Yonalasi, and so it doesn't exist anymore in the form of a camp. I think there's a housing development, I mean, a very tasteful one, but a housing development and a tennis club. And we would eat dinner and still do eat dinner in a restaurant that is the former headmaster's cabin of Yonalasi. But I stayed very much away from the real Yonalasi. I wanted to take the place and I wanted to take the name and I couldn't imagine the place without the name because in some ways it would have been easier just to name it something else, but I just couldn't think of anything that I liked as much as Yonalasi. And once I learned that it actually had been a camp, it just was fascinating. What made you decide to choose the Great Depression as a setting? To be perfectly honest, when I first thought of it, I just did it. Like, I have to write things before I kind of understand what I'm doing, which is sometimes not great in terms of revision. But I knew I wanted it to be in a time of a lot of upheaval. But then in the several revisions that went through, I changed the times of the Depression. And I became more and more interested in the Depression when it was just starting and what it meant for not the very poor or the very, very wealthy, like what it meant for middle-class families. Also, how options were limited at that point, but not, everybody was hopeful. Like Nobody thought that it was going to be as bad as it was, and that sort of moment, I thought, was really interesting. 
What was your process like writing this book? Had you written some longer work like this before? I, my short stories kept getting longer and longer, so I felt like my writing mind was telling me to explore something else, but I didn't yet want to make the leap into writing a novel just because it seemed like a very big endeavor. So I was in workshop at Washington University and I was writing these longer and longer short stories and I think annoying everybody in workshop because other people were turning in 15 page stories and then I would have 40 page stories and then I just decided that I, I needed to write a novel and so I just did it. How long did it take you to write the whole novel? It took about two years to get a first draft and to find an agent and then I revised with my agent for about two and a half years. When I finished it, I thought like it's done and the revision with the agent was great, but it, it took a long time. Did you storyboard it at all or just? No, I, I probably was inefficient. I didn't want to get caught in the trap that a lot of historical novelists get caught in, which is too much research and not enough writing. And so that meant that my first draft was very bare on the research. So. I didn't do much and like I tried to keep it all in my mind. My process is that I write every day in the morning. How long do you usually write in the morning? About two hours. Yeah. It's really difficult for me to write for longer than that. Maybe my attention span is not what it should be but I can't write for anything longer than that or it just starts not to be good. So I didn't make notes to myself for the most part. I wanted everything that needed to be contained in my head to be contained in my head. Did you reread what you had done the day before? Yes. And That's one of the most surprising things about writing a novel is that you forget about parts. <laughs> like you, like even now when I go back to look at things, I'm like, oh, like I forgot about that part. My process is that I write single spaced and I, I'll read the single spaced page before what I'm going to write. And so I just, I have what's going to happen most recently in my head. Yeah, that's great. It would take too long if you had to. Yes, it would yeah. be impossible. <laughs> So this story is, in its essence, a coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the typical arc of a coming-of-age story? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> For somebody who's read a lot of coming-of-age stories and likes coming-of-age stories, I think the typical arc is a person enveloped in a family and the person's identity, the character's identity, is attached to their family. And then in the best coming-of-age stories, I think some sort of trauma happens and it causes them to have to decide between their family and themselves. I guess it doesn't have to be a family, but it a lot of times is, and in my book it certainly is. One of the elements I really like about coming-of-age stories is the character becoming themselves by destroying themselves, like acting in their own worst interests but because they have to, they're driven by something that they don't entirely understand, but that needs to be expressed in order for them to come of age. Yeah. So what do you think it is about that story that we return to again and again in literature? I think we've all felt a part of that story. Like I love my family very much and there's no trauma, but it's something that every person has experienced, separating themselves from their family and from who they were as a child. Do you have a favorite coming of age story? I really love a separate piece. That's a <laughs> I haven't read that one. Yeah, and it, it's not so, it, I mean, it's more to do with camp. It's not so much to do with family. I love a separate piece, and I really like a book by Kate Walbert called The Gardens of Kyoto, and it's a beautiful coming of age story. Oh, I'm gonna have to check those yeah. out now. <laughs> I'll add to your list. <laughs> so, which authors do you love to read? I love Edward P. Jones, 
and Kate Walbert, Kazuo Ishiguro, mm -hmm. and Chang Ray Lee. I feel like who I like depends on what period of my life I'm in, but I've always, I mean, those, those are pretty constant. As writers, we're always borrowing or being influenced by yes, certain writers. Definitely. Um, well, do you feel most indebted to those writers then, or who do you feel really shaped you? There's not one writer that mm -hmm. I thought, this is the person that inspired me to be a writer. It was just always reading. Mm -hmm. I just love to read. Like most writers <laughs> are all writers. It's kind of impossible to be a writer without loving to read. I would turn to certain writers to try to help me in my own work. Like I would, I read The Secret History by Donna Tartt a few times while I was writing to kind of understand how she built up suspense in this boarding school environment. I turned to Kazuo Ishiguro a lot to look at his first person narrator, how he tells a first person story. And I was also influenced by the way that Southern people, women especially, just tell stories. I've always been very interested in my story having a narrative and a reader wanting to turn the page. I read stuff that's not like that, but it's something that I strive for in my own work. And so that impulse to, to kind of hook your reader and make them want to be involved in the story. So what advice would you have for first-time novelists? My advice would be to just do it, which is, I think, a Nike slogan. <laughs> um, there are so many ways to talk yourself out of writing a novel, and I learned so many things while writing it that I could not have learned without... There, there's no way to prepare yourself. There's no way to anticipate all the things that'll come up or do it in baby steps. You just have to do it. Is there any advice you wish you had been given before you started? I was given that advice yeah. by Catherine Davis, who <laughs> teaches here, that I just needed to do it. I just needed to write it and that I was to stop testing the waters with longer short stories and to just go for it. I think this is something that grad school taught me to do, and I'm glad to be protective of your writing time, to carve out a time where you can write and to not let anything else in. And when I say protective, it's usually protective from yourself, <laughs> like getting up early or not going out the night before or not doing, just just making yourself write. Now the internet is my big foe. Zadie Smith said that her advice to writers is to write on a computer that does not have access to the internet. I know, it's so easy to get distracted. Well, there's just so many points when you're writing something where it's hard and it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. The computer, you know, Lassian had, spotty internet. It was really slow and old and now I, but I lock myself out of the internet. I protect myself from myself. Anton's fierce protection of her writing time is a sentiment she shares with many other successful writers. Poet Donald Hall once said, mere literary talent is common. What is rare is endurance, the continuing desire to work hard at writing. It took four and a half years of drafting and redrafting to finish her novel, and from what I've heard from other writers, that's on the quick side. Now we turn to her former student, Kate Marsal, who will share some of the writing advice Anton gave in the classroom. My name is Kate Marsal. I'm in the class of 2013, the College of Arts and Sciences. I'm an English literature major with a minor in writing and anthropology. The class I took with Anton was the first writing class I took in college after writing one. <laughs> and it was just so wonderful that I actually then went on to, to get my minor in writing. I took a nonfiction class with Anton. It was called Creative Nonfiction One. And I think that some of the 
best lessons she taught were to incorporate aspects of fiction writing into nonfiction. The class was on literary journalism and memoir. She was really focused on creating a story and characterization and, and drama and plot development on, on every level in the same way that you would write a short story or a novel. I think that that really helped me to make my writing more colorful and interesting. The best advice she gave was to talk to as many people as possible. It was sort of, we went into it from a kind of journalist approach. She definitely encouraged me to call up, go visit, take pictures, talk to as many people as possible, even if you're not going to necessarily write about them, but just to go in and if you see someone, get to know them and find out their story and you never know kind of what unexpected things you'll find out. So I think that was like a really useful lesson for any kind of writing. I actually took this class with her the semester before she got her book deal. We were just in the middle of class and one of the kids raised his hand and said, Anton, have you ever written anything? And she said, well, I wrote a novel, but it's sort of still in the works. It's, it's with the editor, the publishers. It's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. And then a couple months later, I open Student Life, the student newspaper, and see that she's got this huge book deal, this, this big novel coming out. And I ran into her later and said, I heard about your book. And she said, oh yeah, I guess they, they worked it out. <laughs> and it's really exciting. So I'm really excited to read it. Thanks again for listening to the first episode of Retellings. Please join me next week when I talk to Carl Phillips about poetry, cooking, and his take on the poet's life.